It's story time at Disc Radio. And there's a story coming from us to you. Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Same Same but Different. We are the Dutch International Storytelling Center. And I'm your guest host for the day, Sahiti Sarva. If you are with us today, I imagine you heard the six different stories of our storytellers. And I genuinely hope you enjoyed them. And I hope you found them same, same, but different. As you would have noticed, we all had very similar elements in our stories. The same bones, as we call them. But when those bones came alive in flesh and blood, they were as different as the six of us coming from three different continents. So what is the story behind this title? Why is it called Same Same But Different? Connor tasked me with this difficult job of telling you the essence behind this phrase, which he came across during his stay in India. One of the biggest differences in Eastern and Western cultures is the use of language, especially in India, a country with strong oral storytelling culture and poor documentation. A lot of inheritance is language. And with increased movements across borders, states and countries, you often find yourself facing someone whose native language is not the same as yours. How then would you go on to explain to them the finer differences between anguish, angst and distress? Or how would you even exactly explain the difference between joy, jubilation and delight? Well, you approximate. You find the words closest to what you want to convey and you run with it. Because all these words are same, same, but different. The difference between 10.02 and 10.45 may be of utmost importance to a rocket scientist, but raises no concern to a fruit seller. According to the fruit seller, they are the same. In a culture that works on approximation, or as we call it in Hindi, andaza, how would we differentiate between two things that are approximately the same and two things that are exactly the same? We use the power of repetition, call it same, same. When you don't need to bother with the differences between two aspects, objects, perceptions, words, situation, or people, and you're able to communicate what you want to, why label them as different? And what more, when two people can relate on their similarities, why bother to label them to be different? So when you hear same, same, it probably means For all practical purposes, it is the same, but if you want to get poetic, scientific, or personal about it, it could be very different. And in this exercise of MITLAB, we chose to get very poetic and quite personal about our differences while keeping the structure of our stories exactly the same. The result, as you see, was six entirely different stories that had very similar imagery. And I must say, we really surprised ourselves. How did we get here? (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking the same thing. I was like, wow, this is like what this has brought in all these different worlds. And 
Yeah. All these different worlds. <laughs> I think we're the, still flabbergasted, like yeah. That. Yeah, I think the silence is speaking louder here. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. The, all these different colors and different uh, personal stories we poured into this this frame, these bones. <laughs> we endlessly talked about bones, <laughs> and now we <laughs> and now we made it alive and ah, wonderful. Yeah, it's this. This is what I like, maybe most about storytelling. That um, one story can be so many other stories, and it depends on who is telling the story. And we all bring our own experiences, styles, inner worlds, outer worlds, and yeah, that's uh, that's just fantastic. I think we're, yeah, we're miracle workers, right? <laughs> no, but this is what happened, which is amazing. I think, where does this come from? I know where it comes from, and still, at the same time, I don't. And so we marveled at this collective, immersive experience we all just had. Although the process started very easily and with a lot of excitement, it was most certainly not just excitement and fun. So we went on to discuss what we loved about it, but more importantly, we reflected on what we found the most challenging. And you can hear those accounts from our storytellers themselves. For me, it was not the first time that it worked in a group. Uh, obviously, I think we all have done group projects yeah, or group work or even yeah. group creative work. And it's not necessarily the first time that I even sat down with a group and said, okay, we're going to create a story together. Mm -hmm. But it was the first time that I sat down with the group and said, we're going to create a story together. And then somebody said, about what? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> we all said, we don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm really excited in that sense that the story that we have in a way came from nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's really cool to kind of look at and yeah. see... We all have done that for ourselves individually, but as a group, like I said, those inner processes then get torn out of you and thrown on the table and mixed up with everyone else's. Um, and I have quite a wild story because of it, very far from my own story. But I do feel that it uh, it's much more than I could have come up with myself unless maybe I had taken 10 years to process it or something. So it's kind of kind of a pressure cooker which makes it uh, very rich to work from yeah yeah i'm wondering if you have any any thoughts about the the pressure side of it because i know that now we are kind of looking back and you know it sounds really rosy uh it sounds like everything was really smooth and easy um <laughs> no it wasn't don't even <laughs> well uh okay well, I think we're first, we're all nice people and uh, we are all more or less polite and civilized and, and we behave thusly. So we did great, especially considering the internal pressure that this process augmented for me. It was um, actually I, I came to find it really interesting and, and almost lovable in that sense that uh, our meetings were about two hours, one and a half hour. 
And in this one and a half hour, I ha I felt these waves taking place, like total agreement. Yes, yes, I'm gonna take a leap to this this angle. I I totally agree with where this person is going, and then my own head explodes around the concept that's being introduced like oh now i know what i want to do and then somebody else comes with a totally different idea and then it collapses inside and this gives pure rage at some points like don't you touch my baby you know don't don't touch my creation it's just taking shape get off uh, but you cannot say that so um for me it was also um, a very interesting exercise in tolerance just staying put with the fact that other people have totally different perceptions even on the same thing um and i came to understand that okay i just have to tolerate this and bear with this and then gradually it will dissipate again and then the whole thing starts all over but um this this yeah kind of emotional reaction uh, also learn me something about how storytelling is actually taking place in somebody's head. You know, you just have to give them a little thing, a, an image or a color or a word and bam, you know, inside the whole story is being born at once and people are attached to it immediately. They don't want to let go. So it also gave me tremendous insight in how the world works, so to speak. Uh, or why it's so hard sometimes to get along with other people. You know, you have these stories popping on in your head all the time and you have to let them go or you have to get attached or you have to get attached to somebody else's story. It's exhausting. <laughs> and um, But very fruitful if you want to observe it and stay with it, so to speak. So that was for me the hard part. And something that you can learn from like what happens if you don't intervene just try not to intervene just let it take place and see what happens uh yeah i think the the most challenging thing for me was uh all those voices from the other people that were still in my head darlings and and uh, beautiful sentences or beautiful ideas and i i my first reaction is, oh, we, we, sh uh, we should all use this. But you can't, because they are, those are not my ideas. Those are not... You can... You can uh, uh, well, never mind. Um, so I really had to, to make it my story. The story I want to tell. Not you want to tell or the other person wants to tell the story i want to tell what is important to me in the story within the frame which we made the six of us and um uh, so i was stuck at some point creating my story and then uh, i uh, managed to 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 found some spark back some creativity back and uh, do some exercises and then the story continued but it was quite a process <laughs> but that's yeah. wonderful i mean you need this sometimes in your life 
challenge, and uh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I remember you telling you. I think you sent an email, or you told me. I just remember you describing what we were going to do. I remember us talking about it. And my whole body was like, oh, no, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do this. This sounds horrible. I have to, like, let go of what I create and make space for other people's ideas in my story that's creating in my mind. This is going to be horrible. Yeah, I generally, there's, I have this challenge to myself. Like, if there's a resistance and there's no harm that I could suffer, it's like, hey, this is uncomfortable. I can probably learn and grow from this. So it, I remember saying to you, like, oh, I feel a lot of resistance. I'm definitely in. Um, and I, I think it also served me a lot during the whole process because I was expecting to have so much resistance. So there was also just sitting with it like, oh, I don't like this. And just allowing these uncomfortable sensations in my body. And going like, hey, what happens if I just go, okay, and allow it instead of going into the argument, going into the resistance. Um, and I really enjoyed that a lot about what we did where like in the beginning when we were creating these images where it's like somebody would say something and you're like, oh, I interpret this as like this is the image that comes to me. And then somebody else would say like the image that comes to me and I would just notice this uncomfortable sensation in my body like, no, that's not my image in my head. This is wrong. And then another person would say something like it's still not the image. And then like somebody would say something that would bring it all together into something new that was better that any of us had said. And I remember the amount of times when we were all like, <gasps> goosebumps, that's it. And that was just beautiful of seeing what happens if you let go of these babies, these things you create, and just allow several people to put give input until you get somewhere that you would not have gotten without the other people. I really like that. I want to say something about this uh, resistance and resonance um, that – the method that we worked, the methodology that was used really resonated with me. And what I found interesting to notice was that there was resistance as in, I don't want to let go of my darlings. I have these ideas I've already created because we're like so fast in creating stories as human beings. We just do this. Like you nod your head. Now I'm imagining and making a story that you're interested. Like I automatically create a story about what I'm seeing. So there was this resistance of letting go of these stories that I'm constantly automatic creating that was for me the challenge in the, in, in the whole process, which I really enjoyed and I judged was very helpful to me in the process and to bring us as a group also further. And then there was the resistance towards people defining the, um, the message of the story or what the story was about. And that was in a resistance where I noticed this is a very clear no for me. And that was something I was not willing to negotiate. I do not want to be told what this story is about. I am willing to have an image and I'm willing to have a plot line. But there is no moral of the story or message of the story. Um, and that was very interesting to notice that that was a different type of resistance and a very clear like this is not a negotiable one for me. Sharing the story is beautiful, but you always have this, this immediately feeling of like, oh, no, this is my baby. This is mine. Okay, I I just created this. This is my idea. How, <laughs> go away. Um, and if it's not really clear what is the ownership of the final product, then the, the, there's already a bit of like a murky water. 
And you said that normally, like in a normal scenario, you would have you would have left and kind of said, okay, well, I'm just going to avoid this conflict yeah. and, and you know, peace out. Um, yeah. So, what was not normal about the Myth Lab in that sense? Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> I, I think uh, we're all in together. It's like we're. It is a safe space. That was also what you mentioned every, uh, almost every session. I think the last few sessions you did mention it. <laughs> but uh, you said that in the beginning, like, this is a safe space. And oh, you also said that was also beautiful. Stories are fragile. So there was also a really acknowledging of, like, we're going to make something beautiful. And we need to be careful with it. Uh, that was beautiful. So you already had a nice setting. Uh, and then, of course, storytellers together. We're all in the same uh, hub and we have the same uh, passion. So that was beautiful. And yeah, just a crazy bunch of people together. And we laughed, we cried, we, we uh, went all over the place. And that made a beautiful, uh, yeah, good surrounding. And that was the question I was thinking about as well. What is it about the Myth Lab that made it a space where we were able to create something so beautiful? We put six creative people in a room and stories emerged from it. It turns out emergence is also a scientific concept, a phenomenon that could occur if you allow a complex system to grow over time. For example, imagine you are listening to a piece of music. Imagine just the drums and then the bass guitar, and then the lead guitar, some keys, and then the vocals. When you hear each individual element on its own, it will do exactly what it is supposed to, create music. But when all of it comes together, you find yourself not just hearing music, but also feeling something, joy, sorrow, despair. This could be one simplistic example of emergence. To explore this idea of emergence occurring in MythLab and in storytelling, I invited a fellow complex systems nerd and the OG host of this podcast, Connor. Hello, Connor. Hello, Sahiti. Um, it's nice to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. I'm interestingly trying to understand or explain the concept of emergence in mere words without using any kind of visual um so that's why i think it would be it would be nice to talk to you about it it's an interesting challenge you have you have proposed for us i mean we did an entire master's degree where we had a crazy amazing professor come and tell us about it it's only fair that we you know um, talk about it a little bit and try and see if we still remember after we graduated. Well, if we were really smart, we would just put the the link to his TED talk in uh, in the description and say, "Well, go check that." Uh, he said it all, uh, you know. But yeah, let's let's take a stab at it. Yeah. Um, so emergence in its pure form is something that I think we definitely saw in our storytelling sessions, um, where we just put six people, we put a blank canvas, and Somehow cut to the chase and six sessions and one storytelling session later, I found myself in tears bawling uh, because I heard something. And I did not think that that would happen to a story that I was completely part of in the making. So how do you think that was emergence and what does that mean to you? 
Good question. Good question. Let's uh, let's start with with the, the topic itself, right? Let's start with what what is emergence, um, and what we know about emergence and how we can kind of describe it. I always um, come back to a few kind of standard examples. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with the patterns that birds make when they fly in a big flock. Um, that is something that we can kind of call an emergent pattern. Um, it arises from a system that appears to be chaotic, uh, but that's actually governed by a set of very simple rules. And through the interaction of a whole bunch of people or objects or things following just these simple rules, you kind of get this larger pattern that occurs over time. So time is always a very important part of any emergent process. Um, it's very difficult to see emergence in a photo. Uh, it's much easier to see it in a picture or in a video because you have then this time element uh, that gives your brain a way to kind of create a pattern, right? So the other element of emergence and any kind of patterns we're ever seeing in complex adaptive systems uh, ties into something we call observer dependence. Um, I was also crying uh, at several times during our story time session, but probably not the same times where you were crying, because each of our starting states, each of our experiences and everything that we've learned and when we've been in love and different elements of each story touch us in our own way. Uh, that is where the observer dependence comes in, right? We talk in storytelling, um, I talk about how storytelling is a social phenomenon. And there is the act of me getting up and creating a story and sending it out and has all of these elements and structure and it's all cool. But the audience's perception is just as important, if not more, right? What they are bringing to the show, what they are bringing to the experience. So observer dependence plays a huge role in the patterns which we see and also in the patterns which we choose to see in an emergent phenomenon like we saw with our story, right? Um, so that's one way to look at it. Um, but for me, the, the emergence part of it is actually, I want to go back one step before, um, before we heard the stories. And for me, that's where emergence really plays a big role in the Myth Lab and this project in how we created the stories, right? How do you think, um, that's exactly right, like basically emergence plays a role in how we created the story and although there is observer dependence in the listening aspect where, you know, the whole story is out there and then you start feeling differently to different components of it. Um, we didn't think that we would get here. We, would, we didn't think that we would get at six different stories that move you in completely different directions, that go in completely different directions, that are told in completely different directions, especially when we had six similar bones set out for everybody. How would you describe the system and the interaction and the rules in which emergence occurred? We took these six storytelling agents and we gave them a set of a very simple, small set of rules. Um, so one of the first things that we talked about in MythLab uh, was to create the safe space and kind of create a certain type of environment for openness and sharing, right? So that can be kind of a simple rule of, you know, be open, share, be careful. Um, and that carefulness also played into 
how we talked about the story. So early on, we were talking about stories are fragile. Um, take small steps. Don't you know? Try to take the story five steps ahead because you'll crush other people's toes. You need to walk a little bit carefully. Walking carefully is another simple rule. Um, and then in the space, one of our kind of unspoken rules was letting everyone participate, right? Not to get siloed into two people talking, but actually try to have always six voices working together. Um, and that, you know, if we look at that flocking model, that could again be this kind of distance idea, but don't get too far away from each other. You know, don't crash into each other by taking the story too fast um, or trying to progress it too far in one direction. And don't get too lost. Um, don't leave other people behind. Um, and those kind of three or four simple rules, basic ideas, were the only rules we ever had for our conversation. So we never would say something like, the story needs to be X. Uh, it needs to be happy or sad or it needs to fit. The story was purely what came out of our conversation, right? So there was no purpose to story. So the whole process was itself non-purposive, um, which is something also that is really interesting uh, to kind of look at how that is different than if you set out to tell a story with a specific point in mind, right? So I think that's where emergence and complex adaptive systems theory kind of played into how we set up the myth lab, um, how I looked at facilitating the sessions, right? So those simple rules were something that I always tried to keep in mind. Um, and then the story which came out is the result of that emergent process. Uh, and that's what for me is also where that beauty kind of comes in because it allows the individual inputs of each person to kind of be transformed over time into this bigger kind of gelatinous piece of a puzzle, right? So, so anytime, you know, like you mentioned, well, so-and-so's idea maybe was influenced by this idea or that idea. And I think that's for us, one of the reasons that it was really emotional is because each of us could see the seeds of different conversations that we played in come to this totally different kind of really rich, beautiful chunk of someone else's story, right? So I really enjoyed to see all of the darlings that I cut out and dropped onto the editing room floor, then become central component of someone else's story and how great they were able to use that piece that I just couldn't figure out, right? So that was really cool to kind of see all of the different elements, how some stories were more similar. And, you know, that's also interesting to think about why um, versus like, okay, well, this story went in a really different direction. Um, and then again, through the why and observer dependence and history, um, life story played into a lot of people's stories, right? So I think what we saw, what kind of emerged from MythLab uh, and this emergent storytelling process was a story framework that allowed for such a rich and deep expansion of, of the story in whatever direction that storyteller wanted to take it and um, which you don't always get you it's very difficult to get with a story you just picked up off the shelf or one you just 
take out of your head and give to someone else, right? So participating in the process was very important as well. It's very interesting because I think the only if we had to combine all the rules to one rule that was the only rule that really governed our entire process is that we should do it together. And that's it. And storytelling is in itself an individualistic endeavor. More, more often than not, people write their own stories and they tell their own stories. But and putting making it a collective endeavor, which actually is real world or personal storytelling, if you tell your own stories, it's usually you didn't author it by yourself. It's usually a combination of multiple people being a part of it and being a component of it. And you are telling the story of X number of people interacting with each other. Um, and I think the idea that storytelling, you doing storytelling together can create emergence is a philosophical take on how personal storytelling or history is essentially written out. It was quite wonderful to know that one of the reasons we were able to create something so beautiful was that we made a decision to stick together and put through the differences we had. But aside from the safe space, we also had one weapon in our hands to resolve differences. And that was the same, same structure that we used. The structure was simple. There is a dead sea, an old man, a child comes into their life. They paint the lighthouse and build the ladder together. They find the conch shell and make a choice. The weapon in this structure is not putting a rule on choosing the moral of the story. And the moral of the story was tied to one particular bone, the choice that was to be made. Every storyteller made an entirely different choice when the conch shell was picked up. Let's take a look at them. She looks into his eyes and says, by giving them all those things like intonation and my interpretation and the depth of my voice and the tone and sarcasm and music, I am taking away the biggest gift of all, Tata. I'm taking away imagination, and I don't want to do that. The story will be alive, and it will be stored as history. He looks back at her, and he says, but history is written by the victors. And all that is left for us survivors is folklore. That was the first time she sees the color of his eyes as a deep, dark blue of the sea. The choice of killing the story or killing the imagination was not one they could make that day. You see, if you blow that thing, all of this will go away. If you blow that, you will wipe us all out. We will have to start over. No, no, you can't, you can't, you can't. That sound will bring the sea back. She looks back to him and says, but you get to decide. Why do you get to decide it doesn't come back? I found the shell. It's not fair. You get to have the choice. You get to have the experience. And you keep it from me. I want to bring the sea back. But I won't do it if you say no. There's silence on the sand. And she looks him right in the eye and she says, All of this which you told me was true. I get it. You still love her, don't you? I heard it in your songs when you thought I wasn't listening. And if she's all bad, then you wouldn't love her. And if you do really love her, then you will bring her back. We will bring her back together. 
A shudder runs through her shoulder blades. Daddy, I'm cold. The fireplace is flanked by two marble lions. It's out before he knows it. She looks up at him, puzzled. He straightens his shoulders and smiles at her with confidence. Squeezes the small sticky hand with care while inside of him the world collapses for a second time. Things never come back, honey. They just go on. I'm sorry, but I'm afraid. I do not know why I am so afraid. I've made so many, many wrong choices in my life. It is so difficult to make a choice right now. Do I write down my story and end it all? Finish this chapter, chapter and die? Or do I blow the conch shell and start anew? Let the water wash away all that I have. Let the sea return. He can't sleep because he's too worried. He's too worried about the man. He's worried about the conch shell that is a thousand pieces now. And, and all of a sudden, a light lights up the dark room he is in. Flash. One, two, three. Flash. One, two, three, four. The lighthouse has come back to life again. And her golden beams lull the boy into a dreamless, deep sleep. Who do we owe our loyalty to? To our ancestors or our descendants? And he heard her voice, Dylan, low. And so he took the conch shell. He put it to his lips and he blew, blew the sound, the sound that his ancestors had feared, the sound that was killing them all, the sound of the sea bed, empty howling wind. After six wonderful stories, in the end of each one, some choices were made and some were not. Some were optimistic. Some were a lot more realistic. Some spoke of fears and some spoke of loyalty. But most of all, every storyteller made a personal decision about this choice. And that choice always held the moral of the story. To me, that is the most beautiful aspect of all stories. That morals and lessons that we learn are usually from the choices we make or the choices that our characters make. For now, I'm very glad we made a choice to do this and I'm also glad that you made one to listen to us for so long. If you wish to work with us, please feel free to reach out to the Dutch International Storytelling Centre and we will definitely keep you posted about the next season.